Hello everyone, Joshua Gilliland here, one of the founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks. Today, we're going to discuss the film that inspired me to become an attorney, Jaws. With me is my good friends, Steve Chu and Kathy Steinman, who are highly experienced in government and local uh, government cases. And we're going to talk about uh, the town of Amity's liability. And I saw you both make funny faces. No, Doug Jaws did not inspire me to become a lawyer, but it is super fun. How are you both doing today? We're good. How are you? We're good. Thank you. Good, good. So we've done comic cons together. We've done mock trials. We've had many adventures. And you know, this June 1st is the 45th anniversary of Jaws, which was the first true summer blockbuster, which set box office records that were then shattered by Star Wars. And it, it's truly an amazing film, but there are amazing liability issues. And uh, Jessica and I talked about a lot of these eight years ago. And so it was time to revisit it. And I thought, uh, given your experience, uh, you both would have very interesting insight into Mayor Larry Vaughn and the desire to uh, make sure that the town still got their summer dollars. So, uh, Steve, what were some of your immediate reactions to uh, the, the town's potential liability for the different shark attacks? So it's very, very interesting uh, because, as you say, Jaws is such a part of the pop culture of society. Jaws is often credited for being the first you know, summer blockbuster, and it started the summer blockbuster traditions, um, as you said, you know, that continue with Star Wars, etc. What is very interesting is remembering watching this as a kid where it, when it totally freaked me out. Um, and now watching it many years later as an attorney, uh, when as an attorney analyzing this and defending or prosecuting or defending this case, you know, on either side, a good attorney, a good civil attorney is going to be able to look at this from both sides and analyze the strengths and the weaknesses. Um, you know, I, I'll kind of cut to the chase and I'll, I'll say here that the, um, I think that the movie is tailored to make the viewer think that the mayor and the city council, that they're all foolish and that they should have done more and all the attacks are really their fault. Uh, however, if you look at the applicable rules and you look at this from the point of view of the government, it is not so simple. And I think that the mayor and the city, the municipality, I think they've actually got some pretty strong defenses. Uh, I think it would be a difficult case for the plaintiffs. But I'll turn it over to, uh, to uh, the true expert here. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Kathy, let's, well, as a preliminary matter, let's, let's just go over the, the victims before we you know, hear your analysis. So the first victim is the Skinny Dipper, and that was uh, Chrissy Watkins. Second, Technically, it's Pippet the dog, who was, they were playing fetch on the beach and Pippet didn't come back. Then Alex Kittner, the little boy whose 
devoured right there off, off the beach where everyone can see it happen. Then you have uh, the massive sea hunt where you have all of these uh, fishermen going out because the Kittner family puts out a bounty on the shark and one of the fishermen, Ben Gardner, is killed. And then you have a character who doesn't have a name. Uh, he's just known as the estuary victim on the 4th of July who's uh, killed in the little uh, tributary, which they call the pond in the movie, uh, where he's eaten by the shark. So Kathy, what are your thoughts? And if you want to break it down by victim, you know, that I think is also part of the fact specific and, and who knew what when. So when we first started talking about this a few weeks ago, one of the first things that I thought about was what if any has the the local jurisdiction or we know this is a fictional town so i went i instead looked at what massachusetts law would be and how have they limited liability against uh public entities because under the concept of sovereign immunity you definitely you can't sue the sovereign only in certain instances and every state has specific rules um where they allow the public entity to be sued. And so what I did was I went, I'm not familiar with Massachusetts law, so I went and looked it up and they have um, actually a very, very um, limited liability against public entities. There it's uh, the Massachusetts Government Tort Claims Act that only allows for a public entity. So it's, and it's this, so it'd be the town or the state or the county to be sued for loss of property damage or personal injury that's caused by the negligent or wrongful act or omission of a public employee that is acting within the scope um, of uh, his or her employment. or um, But the individual employees cannot be sued for that um, negligence or wrongful act. Only the employer can be. So only the, in this case, only the town of Amity could be sued. The mayor could not be sued individually under this Massachusetts statute. Um, and then you go on to look and see, does the, does the statute also have what we call immunities that would also further protect it from being sued? So you couldn't just sue it just because someone was negligent. There, are also, there has to be very specific um, reasons or um, a specific fact pattern that would allow you to sue. And so when I looked at the immunities, the, there were a couple that stood out to me. And the first one was um, what we call discretionary function. And that's basically when the, you know, the a public official or whoever's acting on behalf of the public entity, you know, makes a decision in its discretion. Um, it also limits um, liability where any um, claim based on any act or, or sorry, excuse me, um, any claim based on an act or failure to act or prevent the, or diminish the harmful consequences of a condition or situation. But there are exceptions to that limitation. So if there is an explicit and specific assurance of safety made to the victim or a member of his or her family, that would do away with that immunity. And also where the claim is based upon the intervention of a public employee which causes injury to the victim or places the victim in a worse position than he or she would have been in before the intervention. That would also do away with that immunity. And that second one to me, um, seems more of like what we call a good Samaritan law, right? So let's say a firefighter, a paramedic that is employed by the jurisdiction 
goes to try to rescue somebody. Um, you can't, they're, they're, the government can't be sued if they are trying to help somebody, right? Um, so when I, after looking at all that, then I went and watched the movie again, um, was looking for what really, really what I was looking for was, were there any explicit and specific assurances of safety made by the mayor? So I really carefully went through and watched, you know, what is the mayor, what are the statements that the mayor was saying? And Steve and I actually have kind of gone back and forth on this a little bit too, um, about whether there was any explicit or specific assurance of safety made by the mayor. The, the victims in this uh, movie, uh, the first one is Chrissy Watkins. She's the skinny dipper um, and she's the first victim. And um, I think it's fair to say that at that point, no one knows that there's any sort of danger in these waters other than what would typically, you know, be there and it's arguable whether or not a great white shark would be a typical danger. But, um, uh, um, and certainly there are no statements made by the mayor that would have been an explicit or a specific assurance of safety. So I don't think that's um, really um, an issue for this one, uh, for this particular victim. And if, if I may jump in for just a moment here, the issue when you're dealing with public entities, uh, landowners, people that control land, property, or access to certain areas, the, the way that um, the key issue there is going to be foreseeability. And that's how the California courts analyzed it. There's a famous California Supreme Court case called Ann M. And that involved a lady who worked at a mall. I think it was a jewelry store. She was opening up the store one morning and someone entered and attacked her. Um, and, and it was, I think, a sexual assault as well. So she sued the owner of the mall saying, hey, what, you know, you guys knew that, um, or you guys should have protected me from this. And the Supreme Court said, well, yes, you know, we don't ever want something bad like this to happen. However, unless the people who ran the mall knew that there was this attacker out there, how can you really sue them? How can they be responsible for this? And the way you show this knowledge is by prior incidents. So typically, in order to have foreseeability, you usually have to have a prior similar incident, and that then puts the landowner or whoever you're talking about on notice. Um, and that's, so that's typically what we need in, if we apply that here to Amityville. In order for someone to sue Amityville for a shark attack, there would have to usually be a prior shark attack, and it would probably have to be close in time, not like 100 years ago or something like that. It'd have to be like, oh, you, you had reason, either you knew or you should have known that there was a, sh a dangerous shark on the loose that could hurt someone. At the time of Chrissy Watkins, she's the first you know, victim. So there's really no way Amityville could fairly be, um, be imputed that type of knowledge. Uh, there's just no foreseeability, at least at that point. So I think that would be a very difficult case if Chrissy's family, um, the Watkins family tries to go after Amityville uh, for her death at least. So let's talk about uh, Watkins' death because that her remains are found on the beach. The medical examiner uh, tells Chief Brody over the phone that this was a shark attack. That's what then puts the chief of police into high gear to, we're gonna have to close the beach. He's taking proactive steps. A 
find out that there are Boy Scouts doing a one-mile swim, so he kicks into gear with, like, let's get them out of the water. And then he runs into the mayor who has the medical examiner with him. And there's a statement made by the mayor regarding Watkins' death uh, to Chief Brody. I don't think you appreciate the gut reaction people have to these things. Martin, it's all psychological. You yell Barracuda, everybody says, huh, what? You yell Shark, we've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. And the, there's a debatable issue on whether or not the ME was pressured by the mayor to change the cause of death to boating accident. But then this is, this is the first act. This would then define, is there a risk to those who want to go swimming? And now, Kathy, back to you for like walking us through the additional victims, because I, I think it's important to set the stage with the first victim for what everything that then follows. Uh, what, what do you think? So our second victim's Alex, right? Yes, and, and the dog Pippet. So oh, yeah, is, okay. <laughs> right, so let's not forget that cute little dog that that would have been eaten by the shark. Would have been a Yeah, which under law would be considered chattel, so the damages wouldn't be high. And I know there's a lot of people who feel differently, but that is the state of the law. If you want to change it, take that up with your legislature. Um, but um, um, so Alex, um, that's, um, you know, we're, we're getting a little bit, closer, but I still don't think there is reasonable foreseeability there. There's still a question as to whether, what, what was the cause of death um, in the, uh, or for um, Chrissy, um, and did, was there really still notice, reasonable notice? Yeah, you know, you have the Emmy who apparently does say shark attack, and then he changes his mind. It's, it, it's not explicit in the movie that the mayor pressured him. It's very questionable. I think in the movie, I'd be curious to see what's actually in the novel um, to see um, what, you know, if, there, if it's, if there's more there, um, you know, uh, that's very, very clear whether or not the mayor, um, you know, coerced the ME into changing his opinion. But in the movie, it's not really clear. And uh, you don't have the um, uh, oceanographer, you know, marine biologist expert um, on scene yet. So, you know, we don't, we, you can, is it reasonable to think this is definitely a shark attack or is it, it could it be something else um, when we have the second victim? And then also the question is, you know, at this time, do we also um, have the statements by the mayor of any, again, explicit or specific assurance of safety? I don't think he said anything to, to the town at this point. Um, uh, in terms of it's safe out there. And I, I think it's questionable whether he says that at all later in, on in the movie, um, at any point in the movie, if he says, you know, it's safe, it's, it's okay to go out there. Um, you know, it's, it's a very fine line. And I wonder if there were lawyers consulting on this because the way that they, um, that the specific language that is used is, is, is a great fact pattern for a law school exam. <laughs> So I think for Alex and Pippet the dog, it's it's still you know it, it's still questionable to me. I don't think it's a it's um, a slam dunk that there would be liability um, there. And, and let's keep in mind as well that um, well I guess two things. Um, so first of all, 
uh, with regard to the um, you know the mayor statements. As Kathy was saying, this is framed when you look at the law. There's essentially a defense, like an immunity against um, against you know liability, an immunity an immunity against lawsuits, unless the mayor comes out and makes a very specific and explicit type of um, safety reassurance. Uh, like we we all and now how you know, how carefully do you how literally do you read that? Does that mean the mayor literally have to say it is safe? Go out there. Or can it be something short of that that comes close? Uh, at the time, at least, of the child um, and the dog's death, uh, I think it's pretty clear the mayor has, has not said anything like that. So the immunity should still apply. So remember the analytical steps. On, you know, if there is still immunity, then there can be no lawsuit. Uh, any lawsuit brought would be thrown out based on the immunity, so the town is okay. So that, that's where we would get, at this point at least, um, the other thing I was going to point out is I think at this point, has the, the town hall meeting already happened? Um, no, the town hall yeah, meeting after, okay, that's right okay. after. happens after uh, the kidney right. boy's okay. death, and it's in response right. to that. Right, right. Because that was a, was kind of, it was a public death. Like, you know, right. everyone on the beach saw it, yeah. and everyone then is freaked out. My second point was just going back to the earlier issue of foreseeability, which is typically the standard for imposing a legal duty to do something, which then, if breached, could lead to liability. Uh, as I mentioned, foreseeability is often shown by prior similar incidents. Uh, that is one of the main ways to show it. Uh, but courts have also recognized that you know there doesn't have to necessarily be the exact same thing happening before if, if there are enough facts that a reasonable person would still think you know this is not safe you know something could happen here um, you know the prior similar incident analysis has been criticized because as some commentators have pointed out if that's the rule then you're essentially allowing like one free attack one free injury where no one can be sued for it and then after that you know people um you know then there can't be liability and, you know, it's a fair point. I mean, it's not an issue that has an easy answer. Uh, you know, you don't want to impose liability too early or too late, you know, if you're a legislator at that point. The one bite rule. With, with Watkins, this goes back to the original blog post I did in 2012. Uh, I looked at, you know, some shark attack cases and I, you know, this will be no surprise. There were some from Florida and you know, the, the issue is, you know, was there you know, prior evidence of uh, a shark? And you, there can be liability if you know there's a dangerous animal, like if you know an alligator hangs out in your backyard you know, type situation, you don't tell anyone about it. So with Watkins, you know, there was no prior evidence of shark attacks in the area, thus no threats to put the town on notice of possible danger. And the quote from, uh, uh, Wamser v. St. Petersburg is, in the absence of reasonable foreseeability of the danger, there was no duty on the part of the city to guard against an invitee, against an attack by an animal, feral nature, or to warn of such occurrence. I mean, like, I think we're all in agreement, attack one, no liability for the town because that just doesn't, it didn't happen before, so like nobody's on notice. Uh, it sounds like you're leaning for attacks 
213, Pippet and Alex, uh, no liability there. I, I do think a plaintiff lawyer could forcefully argue and convince a jury otherwise, but I'm like, that's why we have trials. And, but that brings us to uh, the others that follow with, uh, you know, after the, the, the fishermen go out and catch the tiger shark on, uh, Cooper wanted to perform an autopsy to verify if this was the right shark because he said the bite radius was wrong. And the mayor doesn't want an autopsy to happen because he was concerned about, you know, the body of a little kid falling out of the shark. And, you know, that's not a, I don't think that's a valid reason to not do the autopsy. It could be a valid reason to not do it in public uh, to avoid things going south. But what are your thoughts on the town's knowledge or refusal to, uh, to go forward with the autopsy on the tiger shark on whether or not uh, they verified that they had indeed caught the right shark, which could then turn to the liability issues for the 4th of July. So when I watched it, my understanding was that he didn't want um, the, and it's a necropsy on an animal, the necropsy to be done um, uh, in the, in front of everybody right there on the docks. Not, I didn't interpret it as being, not being done in a private setting. It, I guess they didn't, they didn't actually do it then they, you know, until Hooper goes on later. Um, so that was how I interpreted that um, uh, it seemed to me that it was more of, I don't want that to happen here and make it a public spectacle. I didn't interpret it as um, not doing it at all. Yeah, well, you know, the quote is, well, let's look at the quote because I, I do think that verifies part of your position. Uh, so one is, because there are two quotes here. The first is to Martin and to uh, Brody, uh, look, fellas, excuse me, Cooper and Brody, uh, look, fellas, let's be reasonable, huh? This is not the time or the place to perform some kind of half-assed autopsy on a fish. And I'm not going to stand here and see that thing cut open and see that little Kittner boy spill out all over the dock. And then after that exchange, he says to the fishermen, all right, fellas, let's cut this ugly son of a bitch down before it stinks up the whole island. Harv, you and Carl take it out tomorrow and dump it in the drink. Yeah, facts matter. Yes. Yep. Well, so is that, so I remember during this scene, and I wrote this down, that Hooper also says, you know, it's, he, he, he vacillates, his opinion vacillates quite a bit within a 30 second dialogue, right? He says, it's 101 that they got the exact shark. And then like a few seconds later, he says, I'm not saying this isn't the shark. It probably is. It probably is. So he goes from saying it's 100 to 1 to it's probably the shark, right? And he's talking about the tiger shark. So, so with that bit of information from your expert, is that enough to, to go forward with a necropsy? You know, now you have your expert saying it's probably the shark. Um, and, and for me, I would say that would, there's not a reasonable degree of certainty from your expert that that um, there's still something else out there that you know that that uh, that this is not the shark 
that um, had been attacking the, the swimmers. At least at that point. I mean, you know, so we're treating Hooper as the expert, which he is, you know, from the Oceanography Institute, an expert on sharks. He seems to know his stuff. He appears to even be perhaps an MD. I mean, he's <laughs> using all the technical terms when he is performing this necropsy or, and or the autopsy on the, the forensic autopsy on the first victim. Um, you know, he knows all the, a lot of these sophisticated medical terminology. Um, but let's look at this objectively, you know, which can be difficult, of course, anytime you're dealing with injuries and you know, emotion. But at this time, when they're on that pier, when they're looking at the tiger shark, shark objectively, the one point we've got is Hooper saying the bite radius is wrong. The bite radius is wrong from this shark. It doesn't match the bite radius of whatever killed the victim, the human victim. That's the only objective fact we have at that point. Then we have Hooper, as Kathy said, vacillating. He goes from saying, you know, it's one in a hundred chance that you got the right shark. You got a shark, but you know, it's very unlikely you got the right shark. And then almost in the same statement towards the end, he said, you know what, you probably got him. You, th this is probably the right one. Um, so what are you supposed to believe if your expert's not even sure, uh, you know, at that point? But, you know, I mean, moving the story forward, they ultimately do do, you know, the necropsy. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Under cover of darkness. <laughs> yes, it's the uh, clandestine <laughs> you're right, operation. Well, you have the chief of police feeling bullied by the mayor. So, and Hooper does make the comment of like, let's be sure. And like, that's probably the most reasonable thing that he could say because when you go like, okay, the bite radius is wrong. Okay, so that goes to the factor of like not the right shark to the probability it is the right shark is the tiger shark does kill people. And it's rare for the, the waters where they work. So, you know, like those are, you know, the factors that they're balancing of like, this doesn't make sense, but you think the bite radius would have been enough to justify, cut it open, but we're not going to do that in front of all these people because that'd be gratuitous and wrong and disrespectful to, you know, the, the victim's family if, you know, a body of a kid fell out of it. So uh, that's interesting impeachment possibilities for Hooper uh, if there was a trial. So <laughs> very fascinating. Should we mention also um, the emotionally powerful scene where the mother of the deceased child comes up, slaps yep. the sheriff, and says, you know, I just found out you knew about this shark attack a few days ago on the young lady, and you didn't close the beaches, and if you had done that, my boy would still be alive, you know, words to that effect. Very powerful scene, of course, a grieving mother, um, you know, taking her anger out on the chief, who won't say a thing in his defense, to his credit. Um, I mean, I know what, what are people's thoughts about that right there? Uh, causation is right. I don't think the chief of police is the guy to slap. You know, it should have been the mayor, but that's me because the chief of police tried doing the right thing and got run over by the mayor who's concerned about summer dollars. So. Uh, well, and it says know, the, they say the, the very. At the beginning of the movie, they also say that the chief of police doesn't have authority to shut down the beach. It has to be done by a resolution or ordinance. So even if he wanted to, he couldn't do it. He got overruled. <laughs> so you're, you're going after the wrong guy here, you know? Yeah, I, I think that is actually correct. 
but he's he's the one with a, a soul who feels bad and is you know he actually takes his job seriously of i'm supposed to protect people that's my job here and a kid died well he, he's, he's our point of view character and he's he is kind of um you're right he's our human point of view character that we relate to and he's the chief of police who cares deeply even if it's not his fault he still feels every death every injury on his watch yeah that that wonderful quality of somebody who's responsible and professional it's refreshing to see it's, it's but he doesn't care about those eight and nine year olds that were vandalizing that old man's fence yeah <laughs> that's true <laughs> he only cares he about the water yeah but that was immediately after <laughs> he just saw this mutilated body of a girl. So he probably went, I can deal with that Tuesday. This, <laughs> this is top priority right now. And he that promised the older, promised the old man, I, I promise I'll call you this afternoon. I don't think he called him that afternoon. <laughs> I think he had a little too much going on. So. <laughs> maybe around four o'clock, maybe he did it out to the deputy of like, hey, yeah. <laughs> you take care of this. Yeah. Or the karate chopping the fence. Yeah, all of all of that. But yeah, I, I don't think it was fair for him to get slapped and for him to bear the mistake of the mayor and the town. Like he's, he isn't the only one in charge. And, and, and that just seems really unfair. Yeah, one thing that um, stuck out to me, though, was so after the at the very public attack on the beach with Alex and Pippet, um, the, they have that town hall meeting, and the town seems very um, against shutting down the beaches as well. You know, so it's kind of like, well, you're just, you know, is, is the town and the, the council and the mayor are they just doing what the public is asking them to do? Right. Remember, I mean, these are public, <laughs> presumably publicly elected officials who are trying to make, make their uh, you know, electorate, their constituents happy. Um, and also interesting about that town hall meeting is when we talk about notice and foreseeability, it's very clear that the town is on notice now that there is a killer shark in these waters. No one can say they didn't know about this, you know? I think that's a wonderful example of how to be a leader and not give in to mob rule because the local townsfolks are rightfully concerned about their businesses. Like they survive by having hotels and bed and breakfasts and, and I, I've been to Martha's Vineyard where they film Jaws and you know what, it is quaint and beautiful and I would love to go back. I get it. That said, when you know that there's something that could eat your guests, that's really <laughs> bad for business. Yeah. Word of mouth would not be in your favor. So not I, a lot I, of repeat repeat customers are, are, don't exist then. <laughs> well, no, and and this is where Quint has his moment where he's right in saying you have to kill this thing now, or else you're going to spend the winter on welfare. So Quint, AKA Ahab. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when you get the mayor, I don't think he's really walking the line trying to protect people from getting eaten. He's trying to walk the line of 
not having the angry mob tear them apart by saying we're only going to close the beaches for 24 hours and we'll have extra help on the 4th of July. So they're trying to do things to mitigate risk, but what they really needed to do was bite the bullet and pay Quint the money that he wanted to go out and kill the shark. And they don't do that. And I, I think that's one of the big falling down points uh, because that's prior to the, the hunt that takes place and prior to Hooper showing up on the island. And I want to add too, it's important that we're going through this chronologically because the standard is not hindsight. And that is what we see in so many cases. People will say, with the benefit of hindsight, oh, if you had just done a little more, made a phone call, told somebody, called the papers, done it, it would have definitely prevented all this. You know, we don't know that. I mean, that is 100% hindsight. You can only judge things based on what you knew at the time, which is why I think we're going through this chronologically is, is um, uh, efficient and correct under the law. We, we go with what we knew at the time. So, I mean, at that time, we know someone's, you know, there's a killer shark. That is what we know. It may have been killed because a shark was caught. Uh, faced with that evidence and knowing that this town, this town's livelihood depends upon the summer business, you know, what do you do if you're in charge of the town? It's not an easy, it's not as easy a decision as a lot of people would like to believe because I think people are looking at it with hindsight now and saying, well, if I'd been the mayor, I absolutely would have closed this down, you know, to heck with anyone who disagreed. Yeah, you know, it's easy to say that, but to really do it, that's, that's not easy. I think there's a lot more gray area than people would like to admit. Agreed. So we go from the tiger shark is caught, they perform the autopsy, and then Hooper and Brody go out for their late night boat ride and find Ben Gardner's boat. Now, Gardner was one of the fishermen, and apparently uh, one of the more notable fishermen on the island, because we hear his name mentioned a couple times. Uh, Kathy, what are your thoughts on like his death uh, because it was engaged in a work for hire situation or a well, it was a bounty. You know, it was. I mean, if you want to get into contract law, it's catch the shark, get three thousand dollars. So he's going out there to catch the shark. Um, so my thoughts when I when I was watching the that scene um was well and, or, and, and watching the scene where all of those guys are all going out on their boats was okay you are assuming the risk now now you know that there is a shark out there that has killed at least two people and a dog and you are actively going out you know to try to find and kill this thing knowing it could eat a boat or you know chew through your boat too right so assumption of the risk. And then um, the other thing I thought about is, well, is this also a hazardous recreational activity? And I know it doesn't, I didn't see this immunity in the Massachusetts government towards that you, but there is one in California. And that's why I thought of that was, if you are participating in a hazardous recreational activity, you can't sue the government for not protecting you from something that has known inherent risks to begin with. So for example, um, 
surfing, right, is a hazardous recreational activity. And so if you are out in the surf and something happens, you know, and the lifeguards don't come and rescue you or whatever, like you can't sue the public entity for, for not doing something or for doing something that resulted in your injury because you were, you were taking the risk. So when I look at this with Ben Gardner and all these other fishermen out there, I'm like, well, you're, you're taking on a risk there um, and you're assuming it and that's your own choice. Now knowing that, that there is a shark out there, um, you know, and you're out there throwing chum in the waters and, you know, you know, on these tiny boats, by the way, Yeah. <laughs> with, I don't know what kind of, equipment they were planning to kill this thing with but i don't think it would have been sufficient <laughs> um, and they're like four or five to a boat too they're really crammed in there they're packed in like sardines <laughs> um you know going out to catch this large fish this large shark right um so i just i think you know that that he took on that risk and knew it and i don't think there would be liability for that as well it's to paraphrase it i mean it's sort of like this guy he goes out looking for a killer shark so it's either the shark's going to get him or he's going to get the shark the shark got him i mean you know who are you going to sue about that right you know agreed i fully agree the assumption of risk issue i also cringe watching all of the insane fishermen go out because they're the worst <laughs> owners yeah. So there's a the formula to determine the carrying capacity of a boat is length times beam divided by 15. They ignore that. Oh yeah. And so you got overloaded boats that are and no not one has the a life right. jacket on. Yeah, there's very little safety, little regard for safety. Yeah, all all of my sea scout experience, you just scream in horror watching this, going like, "That's not what we do." The Coast Guard would have a field day stopping and sighting all of those individuals uh, to say nothing about use of explosives and uh, every other insane fisherman or wannabe <laughs> fisherman yeah. taking taking to the seas as a mob. So yeah, just not, not okay. Yeah, it literally is a mob mentality and you know, Shark Week came early, I guess, for them. So. Uh, and I also want to mention that, uh, you know, for a horror movie, I mean, you see a lot of the classic tropes in Jaws. You have the one guy kind of warning everyone about this evil and everyone's like, nah, it'll be fine. And, you know, no one listens to them. Uh, you have multiple people dying. Finally, when they take it seriously, you get the mob mentality and they do it. You know, they go after this evil or the enemy in probably the least efficient way possible and they lose more people. Um, you get a lot of misdirection. You know, you get people masquerading as a shark at one point, you know, kids. And then you also get a great jump scare in the form of this gardener guy who's dead and yet still performs a great jump scare, you know, just by camera work. But it does highlight the autopsy and finding gardener goes, we still got a problem. And there isn't really a discussion about that. We just jumped to the 4th of July where they've ramped up their safety measures with shark watch watchers and helicopters and guys out in boats uh, to make sure people stay safe. And you also have few people going into the water because everybody's on actual notice of it's, it's dangerous. 
and uh, and again so just, the, the the billboard exchange, right? Uh, because that happens before the Fourth of July of vandals who drew the fin and the exchange between uh, Hooper and the mayor about you got a problem and the mayor is very skeptical skeptical they still have a problem you know what are your thoughts on you know is the mayor justified to be skeptical you know if, if we can just set the stage a little bit more too i was trying to as attorneys we try to be as specific as we can we need to quantify things so yeah. i we, we watched through these scenes a couple times i counted at least one helicopter uh multiple news crews at least three patrol boats out there two of which had four or five people each, all armed with weapons. Um, the third patrol boat had our shark expert Hooper, pr presumably with a few other people too. So you've got eyes on, you know, in the air, eyes on the water. I mean, a lot of precautions are being taken. Um, so, I mean, it, people are clearly on notice that there's a danger and there are people out there trying to protect the public. Is it enough? I mean, that that's a question for a trier of fact, perhaps, but you can't really fairly say that the mayor and the, um, you know, the city that they're doing nothing, you know, at this point. Um. I think the closest that we get to the mayor really getting close to liability is when he approaches it, I think it's Larry um, on the beach and he says, why aren't you in the water? Nobody's getting in, please get in the water. And Steve and I had quite a discussion about this, <laughs> about you know how close is that to, to a statement of safety, and you know is it implied? You know you're not going to just tell them to get in the water if you don't think it's safe. But um, and this is probably where I needed to do a little bit more research. But um, you know what what is an explicit and and specific assurance of safety? You know do you actually have to say? Um, go in the water, it is safe, we got the shark, um, or is, is just please get in the water, is that enough? Is there an implied um, statement there? Um, but I think that's the closest, that's why I said, I think that, you know, I don't know if they had a legal consultant on this, but whoever, I, I think did eventually write the script, I can't recall. Yes. But uh, uh, worked yeah. on it at least, yeah. 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 It's a really great fact pattern and really, really, you know, it leaves a lot. There's a lot to be debated about whether or not there can be liability. You know, these statements are very gray and very much up to interpretation. And these cases often turn on very minute details, things that most people would consider, you know, unimportant. You know, but if we want to kind of, you know, how many, uh, how many angels can you balance on the head of a pin here, right? But if you get into the mayor's words, he says, nobody's swimming, uh, please, please go in. Okay, has he now made a statement saying, it's safe, don't worry, go in there. He hasn't said those exact words, but it's close. That, that's kind of implied, right? If you're telling someone, please go swim, it's sort of implied that you're saying it's safe. And is that enough? Um, I think you could argue that both ways and you could get judges and juries to find both ways on that because it's, it's awfully close. Um, you know, so if he said a little bit more, if he said, please go in, 
we got the shark, please swim. Yeah, I think you're even closer now, like it's a stronger case. Uh, or if he says, we know it's safe, go in, then I think you probably got him. Then, then I think the, the immunity is probably gone at that point. But we're kind of short of that. He, he says, you know, please go in. Nobody's swimming, please go in, please go swim. And leaves it at that. And then I think the statement, it's safe, is implied because he wouldn't be telling someone to go in and swim unless it were, unless it were safe. And let, you know, absent any bizarre facts, like he doesn't like this guy, this guy owes him money and he wants him to die, I suppose. But, you know, that, that, that's not the reality we're living in here. So, so I'm going to make the defense argument and say explicit in the dictionary is defined as stated clearly and in detail, leaving no room for confusion or doubt. So the fact that we're debating yes. <laughs> whether or not this is a, an assurance of safety, I think, you know, if I'm making the argument and I'm defending the town, I would say it's not. You don't meet that standard and you're definitely not going to meet them, you know, more likely than not um, standard of uh, proof. You're close, but there's a question of fact there. It, you know, different reasonable minds could disagree on this one. So it, it, that, that's why it's tough. If we're advising the town of Amity, you know, which means friendship, uh, and we don't want it to be Shark City, if we're advising them on this one, uh, this is, we'd have to tell them, look, you know, out of 10 times you go to trial, you're going to lose a couple times there. I don't know exactly how many, but um, we're going to argue this immunity. This may be your best bet, but you're probably gonna, there's probably going to be at least a couple of judges and juries that would go against you. So let's, so we have the TV interview and uh, Peter eventually does play the reporter on the beach. Oh, okay. okay. That's, his, that's his cameo. Uh, I don't think he gets the quote from Vaughn, but Vaughn's quote on the beach is, I am pleased and happy to repeat the news that we have in fact caught and killed a large predator that supposedly injured some bathers. But as you see, it's a beautiful day, the beaches are open and people are having a wonderful time. Amity, as you know, means friendship. So we, he's in full politician mode. He goes to Harry and encourages Harry, who's probably a local character known for swimming, to go get in the water. What we don't see is the mayor offer his children as sacrificial lambs and telling you know the, his kids, hey kids, go swimming for daddy. We don't see him do that. And I, I say that's relevant because with the hospital scene, we have him in, you know, in shock saying, Martin, my kids were on that beach too. So let's get to that in just a moment, but you know, that doesn't say my kids were swimming my kids were on that beach too. So he didn't get his own kids to go swimming. That's for that. Now, I, I'm concerned with the, the TV interview, whether that's just like a form of political puffery to try to calm people, or is it an assertion that like, hey, it's safe, because he doesn't use the word safe. He says people are having a wonderful time. Right. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so let, let, let me make the defense argument. I get up, ladies and gentlemen, the jury or your honor, um, show me where in that TV interview he says the word safe. Show me where in that interview he says, uh, you know, there will be no more attacks. Show me where in that interview 
he says that uh, there, you know, that anyone swimming does not need to worry about a shark. He never says it. You can't show me because he never says it. That's the defense argument. Plaintiff's argument would be that entire statement was designed to reassure, to calm, to make people happy. Of course they're going to swim. It's very foreseeable that what you say is going to result in people getting in that water to swim. You can't stick your head in the sand and expect that and you know close your eyes and think that nothing is going to happen from these words because words matter. It would be like saying there was no agreement to commit a conspiracy because they never said the word conspiracy. Bad guys don't <laughs> yeah. do that. Saying like, hey, let's let's have this conspiracy to do this nefarious act. They don't do that. They don't have memos. They, they can- We don't say the quiet part out loud. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they, and when you look at the entire statement, I think a plaintiff lawyer, when you put up the pictures of the victims as part of your closing argument, and then you play the mayor's statement about it's a wonderful day, I, I think that's extremely damning. But you know, I don't think autopsy photos come in. Yeah. There's actually a lot of case law on that. That's very, that's super <laughs> prejudicial. That's not the autopsy. The, the smiling little boy, the smile, you know, the smiling college girl. Like you, you. Oh, not that, the dead bodies, just okay. the, okay. All right. Yeah. 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 Oh, no, no, no. We, we highlight of like who they were and that they're, they were now shark food. So there, there are ways to, to do that and still not run into a, a 403 objection for being prejudicial. But. Yeah. I just want to say too that this, this statement that he makes to the news is so carefully crafted. Yes. It really is. He doesn't even say that they caught the shark. He just says, we caught the large predator that supposedly injured yeah. some bathers. It is so qualified, you know, um, that you know, it's one of those, I'm like, I, the lawyers probably wrote that <laughs> if I were, you know. Yeah, there's wiggle room. There's some wiggle room. We don't see the uh, city attorney for the island uh, <laughs> in the movie, but clearly they had a busy, busy summer trying to keep the, the township safe. Uh, any, so just for kind of a lightning round, let's just... You know, I'll say a victim, and you can say your thought on whether or not the town would have liability for that individual's death. Uh, Chrissy Watkins, victim one. No. No. Hip at the dog. No. No. Uh, Alex Kittner. No. No. Ben Gardner. No. No. That's, yeah. Estuary victim on the 4th of July. That's the iffy one. That's the one that goes to trial, I think. Closer call, yeah, that, that one survives the non-suit motion. So I think Alex Kittner can, but that's, that's why we have lawsuits and that's why there are trials because it's not just data in, data out, it's you know, it, it's law and facts mix and then the, the theater that happens. Now there's one other element I want to highlight and it dawned on me this morning putting together the notes and that's spoliation of evidence. 
that we have the tiger shark and the mayor wants to just uh, cut down and dumped in the drink that night. Before saying that, you know, the grieving mother shows up and slaps uh, the chief of police across the face saying, you knew. I think that's a triggering event that you can reasonably anticipate litigation. And that being the case, destroying the shark's body would be destroying evidence because knowing what's in the contents of that shark would be necessary for the trial. Funny thing about uh, spoliation rules, this would fall under like the like physical objects. Under you know e-discovery rules in federal court, you would need to show intent to deprive. We're not dealing with electronically stored information, so the old rules apply because it's the corpse of the shark, which means is there like intent or gross negligence or any of those factors that you don't see in e-discovery cases anymore because we the 2015 amendments knocked those out. But since it's, uh, I, I think there's a good spoliation issue that the town should be able to expect a lawsuit and that shark should go in the freezer. But that's my thought being the discussion. Yeah, although Cooper does sort of do a necropsy. Yeah. You know, which to me, I was like, that does not look like proper technique. <laughs> Cooper could do how many shark, how many shark autopsies have you been to? Yeah. Uh, well, my sister's a marine biologist, so I haven't been. Okay. <laughs> well, we've we've been around some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, the spoliation issue is a fascinating issue because um, you're right. The general rule on spoliation is that when some event happens that puts you on notice that you should or you know that that you know or should know that litigation is likely or reasonably likely, then you've got a duty to preserve evidence. The idea being that if you destroy evidence, it will prejudice the other side and it can lead to discovery sanctions, including um, you know, presumptions against you, um, you know, that can really hurt. Uh, but the in, one interesting thing to me, I'm thinking through as you mentioned this is, so we've got this giant tiger shark, one of the largest they've caught in the area. Uh, let's just say, you know, we want to we want to preserve the shark so that we can see the insides and see are there human remains. That's ultimately where we're going. Uh, it'd be easy if we could just freeze the shark, maybe. But does the town have the capacity to freeze something that large without cutting it to pieces? And if not, now does the town have the responsibility to go out and buy some gigantic freezer just to keep the shark frozen and preserved for this lawsuit should it ever come to pass? Um, you know, at some point, we're putting a lot of burden on the town here for, a you know, to get its ducks in a row, to preserve evidence for a case that may or may never, may or may not ever come to light. Uh, and also, you know, and this is where it gets a little scientific, you know, even if we do nothing or if we try to freeze it, those the sharks like bile and digestive enzymes continue to process and break down the things inside such that doing nothing is still doing something that if you just freeze a shark, it will continue to destroy the things inside it. So if you leave it 
for a year and you come out and try to cut it up then, you know, it's, it's useless. So then would that put an affirmative burden now on the city to, okay, we got to do the necropsy quick before it further breaks, the, uh, the, the enzymes further break down what's inside the shark. You and know, then do they need to notify the, uh, the, the, the child's mom. mother that yeah. they're doing the necropsy and give her an opportunity to have an expert? Yeah, and say, hey, come on out here and you may see the remains of your little kid. Um, you know, it, it gets horrible, but uh, there are a lot of potential like, you know, paths that we can go down here. There is, and I don't, I don't know if they would want to tip their hand of like, hey, you could sue us. So I don't know if inviting her would be the right thing. Right. Uh, I wouldn't advise a client to do that. Yeah. I would advise them, let's document this thing because again, freezer space, if you can't freeze it, then I would argue the reasonable thing to do to preserve it would be to do the autopsy on it and, and document video it. it. Video yeah. it and turn that over to the other side if there, if it ever comes to pass. Create was, a record. Was video accessible back then? Oh, that's Readily true. accessible. That's true. It's Sixteen millimeter. You have to take Polaroids. Polaroids, yeah. <laughs> Polaroids and sixteen millimeter footage uh, from nineteen seventy-five. Uh, that that actually would be kind of fun seeing Super Eight in action. I digress, but uh, yeah. So again, I. Again, there's just so many wonderful issues with uh, the municipal liability are in this film. Uh, and I do love it. It's such a brilliant to be, to be clear, at least my vote on the Alex Kittner case and why that wouldn't work is because uh, the immunity still applies at that point. The mayor has not told like Alex's mom, hey, it's safe. Let your kid yeah. go play. The mayor's done nothing like that. That's why I think immunity still attaches at that point. Yeah, I don't agree with that because they're on notice of a very dead girl who got devoured. And I think the pressure on the ME, you know, while they're on the auto ferry being moved from one half to the other, uh, points to the ME going, uh, yeah, it could be a boating accident. I think that, I think that's very damning. And I think that would, Put them in the position of you knew it was dangerous and you kept the beaches open so that would be that'd be my argument one other thing that i wanted to point out that i thought was really interesting when i um, was looking at this massachusetts government tort liability is that their uh damages anyone who's suing any public entity in massachusetts under this statute um their damages are limited to a hundred thousand dollars um, that, that was shocking to me that, that seems very, very low. Um, and, um, there's an exception that if it involves their, um, transit system, um, then, um, that, that hundred, uh, K cap does not apply. But, um, yeah, I just, that, that really struck me as like, wow, that's really, really low. Yeah, there's. There's a lot to be said on what we could do in analyzing Massachusetts law and what that could be, say, under California by comparison. But that's a story for another day. So, uh, Kathy and Steve, as always, this has been fascinating to chat with you both about one of the most classic uh, films in cinema history. 
and appreciate your time. And for everyone who's listening, if you enjoy us, please leave a review on wherever you listen to podcasts. We have a Patreon. And stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you all very soon. And remember, that's no boating accident.